0: (laughs) Namo (laughs) Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Summa Sambhutasana Mo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Summa Sambhutasana Mo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Summa Sambhutasana Praru ta de San a asa taura I was noticing while I was sitting there and waiting for somebody to ask for the eight precepts. (laughs) And just observing that impulse, you know, this waiting, sense of when is is somebody going to ask for the eight precepts? (laughs) And then uh, just being a witness to that kind of uh, of anticipation and even impatience, you know, you feel are going to ask or not? And <laughs> they asked for the desana. And then one time, I remember, uh, a few months ago, they didn't ask for the precepts, they asked for the desana. So I gave the desa, and then somebody got upset because I didn't give the eight precepts. <laughs> These are memories, isn't it? These are The human mind is like this. So uh, notice to be aware of it, like anticipating something when you're waiting for somebody or waiting for the bell to ring or the, somebody to request uh, the Eight Precepts. Or, uh, just to, to be, use that situation as a reflection. <coughs> because that's that was one of the you know the suffering that we have around being impatient and uh, wanting things, wanting people to be on time, wanting things to go like this, and you know, like not not, uh, not not liking or resenting the fact that things aren't, uh, you know, it's not happening as quickly or as efficiently or as conventionally as one likes or one wants or expects. So then I've come back from Chile and I think, what is where is Chile right now? You say, well it's pretty chilly outside. <laughs> But that's not the right chili. And then, uh, then we can use chili for, uh, for uh, you know, spicy, hot, spicy peppers. So then, where's chili right now? All of us, you know, contemplate that. It's a word, and we, we know we've got the perception now of. uh, it's a country, and for most of us, I assume you know that it's a country in South America. <laughs> but where is it right now? You know, and, then we, and for me, you know, the, having the experience of physically going there and coming back, so reflecting on the fact that it's a memory, before I went there, for you who've never been to Chile then, it's a perception, you know, it's a it's a word. You've got an idea. You know, maybe a. a um, you have a some kind of image in your mind of South America, and on a map, that narrow little. It's not little. That narrow country that goes from Peru down to the Antarctic. But that is. What is that right now? That is. Is that Chile or is that? you know, in terms of the reality of this moment, not in terms of the conventional uh, reality that we assume is, you know, that we are very much conditioned by. But in reflecting, you know, you're bringing into consciousness the way it is right now rather than believing in the conventional world as as the real world. So on the conventional level we, you know, we 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 know there's a country called Chile and, and it's in South America and so forth. And then we have, we might have opinions or we might have been there or we might have, you know, views about Pinochet that most of us have, our connection with Chile is around memories of General Pinochet when he was, uh, interned here in England a few years ago. But these are, at this moment, their their perceptions that arise in consciousness. And so now, you know, Chile, I have memories of it. Uh, physically, I'm I mean the conventional uh, Reality of traveling, flying there, landing in Santiago and living there for two weeks and coming back. So I have memories of having been there. But right now uh, still, if there's it a memory, I, remem- I can still remember and even, you know, visualize various uh, things that, uh, that come up in memory: people I met, uh, scenes that I saw. is that real, is that real, you know, is it, is that really chilly, is that reality? And so, conventionally speaking, the conditioned mind, when we speak of conventional reality, it's the conditioning of the mind uh, that we operate from, you know, and so we're you know, we like, we like to believe that Chile is a solid country in South America and the planet's round and that and, and, uh, Santiago's the capital and General Pinochet. <laughs> uh, we like to have facts, figures, statistics, uh, you know, that make us feel the conventional world as a, as a real world. So, in reflecting on Dhamma, you know that's why it can be rather frightening because the real, the kind of quote real world unquote, isn't real, and it, it it fades away. It has no essence, no substance, no core, no heart to it. It it arises and ceases in the present. So, even in even when I was in physically in Chile. You know, the necessity of the moment physically in sen- or through senses in contact with what is conventionally known as chili was just as empty as this moment is now. You know, when you really open to the moment, it's quite empty. But right now the this form is sitting here and it's, you know, the senses are picking up, uh, impinged on and affected by the conditions that are present here. And then we want, then the conventional mind says, this is Amarvati, these are the monks the nuns and and lay people and so forth and then we we operate, uh, you know, so much of our life is a total commitment to delusions to the unreal world. And of course that's where we suffer because uh, you know it's uh, we, we expect and we want and we like, we don't like and, and we get caught in, in reactions in habitual reactions to each other. The the pleasure, the pain, the cold weather, or the rain, or the damp, or the this person or that person, and uh, we like this one, we don't like that one. We get along with this one. We we really have an affinity, heart connection, and with that one, it's just total alienation. And we believe in this, totally committed to these. Creations that we have in our consciousness <clears throat> so in the reflective you know it's mindfulness awareness, you know this is where it does take a determination to really penetrate this the the conventional reality, to see through it and not to. To be so committed and attached and and uh, lost in it. <clears throat> so the the present moment is always the moment of its a necessity, isn't it? This is the way it is right now. And so then then the. Uh, then the uh, when I reflect in this way, then I open to this as it is, quite empty. Unless I start projecting onto it, things you know like um, I'm I'm the, the abbot of this monastery, or you are the nuns, you are the monks, and, <clears throat> and get caught in you know, feeling attraction to this one or aversion to that one. Or getting nostalgic. You know, it's fun to get nostalgic about the beginning days of Amravati, the gulag days of cold and... And, uh, well, you, know, it's, uh, you know, Chithurst days when we were repairing the old derelict mansion and, you know, so we can... We can have nostalgic, have this nostalgia of the past, the old days. <clears throat> but in the, when we really look at it, it is, it's is—it's just perception, you know, memory that, that we are, that it's arisen in this present, in the here and now. So, like the end when we when we talk about the end of the world in Buddhism, it's not Armageddon in the uh, common sense of that word. It's uh, you know not like like a great catastrophe is going to happen, but the end of the world is now, and as we, as we let the world end rather than keep recreating it. And then we, what do we experience? What is, the, what is the reality of no world? No perception, non-attachment, non-self. And so this is, this is why we can trust in the awareness because you can't conceive non-self. You know, you can't imagine you can kind of uh, imagine a kind of annihilation a kind of abstract sense of, of nothingness or annihilation but the reality of emptiness and of non-self so then this is why the Sati Sampachanya is, uh, is a what the Buddha kept these words, the Buddha kept using. This is the real axis, mundi. because from sati sampajanya, then the you know when you are fully present, fully here and now, not 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 caught in your thinking, attaching to your views, opinions, thoughts. Your emotional habits. When you when you actually begin to recognize non-attachment, the reality of it—it's its real. It's not—it's not an abstract ideal that, you know about how you should just let go of the world, and then it becomes like advice and a, and a, and a kind of ideal that 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 we can attach to that we shouldn't be attached to the world. But that's not it. I mean, we're still attached to the view of non-attachment. And that doesn't, there's no liberation in that. So what is liberation then? What, when the Buddha talks about liberation, Nibbāna, what, what is that right now? in terms of the reality of now. So then you, you know, then you, you you know, from, begin to recognize this this awareness, that which is behind the thoughts, where the thoughts arise and cease. You know, when you really notice thinking, your thinking process, you notice, you know you're thinking don't you when you're, even when you're lost in your thought you can, people say oh I think too much I'm always thinking and I'm so tired of my thoughts and I get the repetitive thoughts and how can I stop thinking and worrying and being frightened and angry and resentful and, and that because it, there's an awareness of thinking isn't there so that's what we're, we're getting to is the awareness So like just habitual thinking is wearisome, isn't it? It goes into worry and and oftentimes this dreary thoughts are depressing It goes quite negative habitual thinking when you're just attached to thoughts and views and opinions then you when, then you it one becomes so uh, moves into. Anxiety and despair, grief, and that then we want to get out of that. That's painful, so we, you know, we we have endless distractions, ways of living. You know that we can just distract ourselves from the painfulness, the the misery of our mind. So in the the Buddhist path, of meditation. You know, using the dukkha as the first noble truth. Then you, you know, you, you're you're turning to it. You're looking. You're witnessing. You're allowing suffering to be conscious. You're rec- you're, you're learning to receive. To allow. So like like you know, peop- we all have this problem in in, in the, the way our minds are conditioned, we, we're quite, you know, most of us, especially from the Western world, are very much, uh, you know, we're educated and we're from very uh, kind of a materialistic time, modern science, technology, and very rational and we're educated to think and use reason and, uh, we can, and of course reason is a great gift but then it's also uh, you know it's also an unfeeling Re- reasonableness doesn't feel anything does it when you're attached to being reasonable then, uh, then you, you tend not to feel life you tend to judge it you know, so I, you know, my reasonable mind, how, you know, what is best and what is worst and what's right and wrong become very important. So then I start making judgments, you know, that's wrong, it shouldn't be like that, and this is right, and this is good, and that's bad, and goes inward to yourself, and then you have, you know, you see unpleasant things in yourself, and you, you feel guilty and ashamed, and, and then you make judgments about how you should be and You should be a loving, uh, patient, uh, compassionate person. So that's the ideal, you know. That's that's a bit, that's true. You know, it's it's absolutely true. Should be <laughs> on that level. And then the then the emotions, you know, which are not reasonable. They're they're. And, and uh, you know, I feel we're not highly developed emotionally. You know, we get stuck, I think, uh, cut off from emotion a lot in modern society. So we, we, and we're kind of ashamed of feeling things. So, you know, you have all these kind of cries, I'm alone, I need people, I want, I, I, uh, I feel hurt and offended and rejected and lost and misunderstood and unappreciated and, and I'm frightened I have a lot of fear and anxiety about everything and, and I feel you know then, then the, then the uh, rational mind the superego comes in and says oh that's stupid you know grow up and don't be so silly and, and uh, you know snap out of it don't wallow in your childish emotions. And it's always this, this kind of looking down because, you know, it comes from an ideal place. It's, you know, it always, it's always very judgmental. So emotionally, one can be lost, like a lost child, you know, a lonely, lost, and, and uh, needy child emotionally. And then the superego. Oh, grow up. Oh, forget it. Drop it. You know, that's silly. So how do you resolve this conflict between emotional habits and the intellect? So that's, uh, you know, the challenge for us. Because at this moment, you know, one can be dealing with both. One can be feeling anxious and worried and inadequate and also, you know, be very, judging it, you know, and what's right and what's wrong and how silly it is and how you should feel grateful and, and um, you know, grow up and not be so, so foolish and yet the, the emotion is like this. So this is where awareness is the path to liberation. 'Cause awareness allows both to operate at the same time. <laughs> and when I'm talking about sati Sampatanya, you know, I'm pointing to the reality of this moment. It includes everything. You know, it's not judgmental. The Sati Satipanya is not doesn't say right and wrong and good and bad and what you should or shouldn't be. It's discerning, you know, it discerns, it knows things for what they are. But it's not, it's not a rational function, meaning it doesn't compare with how things should be according to an ideal. Or it doesn't despise uh, uh, weakness or, or childishness or foolishness or stupidity. So then when we take refuge in the Buddha, this is what we mean by the satisampachanya, this awareness in the present allows, knows the, the rational mind, superego is like this, what it is, and, and we know the emotional experience of, of the present is like this. It's like they both belong in this moment, whatever you're feeling emotionally or, uh, you know, rationally or whatever, while your mind's intellect is working at this moment, or emotionally, your, you know, what emotions have been aroused. They are what they are. And so, Panya, the ability to discern that something is what it is because of the necessity of this moment isn't it? It's, it's like this. Feeling anxious and worried is like this. Feeling uh, uh, critical, you know, hating yourself for being so childish and, and weak is like this. So, so then you, you're getting the perspective on the Dhamma because it's all the dhamma, isn't it? The intellect, the emotional habits—you know—they're whatever they might be, mature immature, whatever. They're they're dhamma. They arise, they cease. You can see in the in the problems of the present, present time the, the impossibility of, of you know they talk about peace in, in Sri Lanka and peace in, in Israel and Palestine and peace in Iraq and, and uh, the war against evil and so forth these kind of terms are you know the idea is peace wouldn't it be nice if we had peace and so, you know, that's that's a very, you know, that's an inspiring idea. We all would like have peace, wouldn't we? Especially when when there's conflict. So when conflict arises, you know, then I want peace and harmony in the community. I don't want to live in a community where people are quarreling with each other. I want peace and harmony. I want to live with my brothers and sisters in harmony and you know camaraderie and uh, that's the ideal wouldn't that be nice uh, so that's that's a message from a, you know the cry for the ideal uh, how it should be and then the reality is like this mm-hmm. the conflict the feeling of of inadequacy or aversion or frustration or resentment that you feel towards the community or individuals or the conventions are like this. Now if you if you learn to trust that attention and the use of wisdom in the present then of course it all takes you to peace in the present. So, you know, if you, if you allow it, if you're patient, if you're willing to, to accept it for what it is. So, so patience is a uh, condition sine qua non for the spiritual life. Uh patience means that, you know, uh, we're not usually, patience, it was not a virtue that that I developed from my cultural background. It's, uh, you know, you want something when I mean, you want it, I want it now, I don't want to wait. And uh, I want peace right now and I don't want conflict I want to solve if there's conflict here then we, we've got to do something about it we've got to solve the conflict so let's have another meeting about it let's have, a, let's have another meeting so that we can solve this conflict in the community so we can have some peace and so we have endless meetings about solving conflicts and then uh, do we ever get any peace out of that I've not noticed any <laughs> so you know we tend to, to make it sound like there shouldn't be a conflict and that it's wrong and that we've got to solve it and, and that and if anybody here is causing conflict then we've got to set them straight and, and um, you know protect the community and, and these are values coming from the, the, uh, the brain. No, they're right and all that. It's, not that. it's not that they're wrong, but recognize that it is a function of the mind that we are that we're very attached to. The ideal monastic community living in harmony and peace, practicing together for the realization of nibbana is the ideal. <laughs> So, then uh, patience, to know when to meet or not to meet, and things like this, you develop, rather than, than, you know, getting, you know, following the impulse, we've got to solve the problem and so we can have peace, Then uh, we can be quite insensitive to the necessity of the moment. So then we have a meeting we we say things you are causing conflict in this community, and you know your way you act and the way you speak to people uh, and then upsets everybody <laughs> and so we you know maybe maybe I'm right you know? uh, and the and the sense of being right is a delusion, isn't it and you know when you're reasonable rational intelligent person you're coming from how things should be then you also you know you're right all the time because it should be we should be a harmonious community living in harmony peacefully supporting each other towards the liberation from suffering that's right absolutely right So. So then, uh, then we we come from a very righteous place. Then we can be full of ourselves. Then very patronizing and, and insensitive and preachy, and uh, and not, you know, not be aware that we're doing it because we're so so uh, confident about that we're right and we're very attached to being right and good. Well, that's why uh, you know there's, there's so much uh, you know when when two sides in conflict are trying to discuss the problem, you know, like the President Bush, you know, he fully believes God is on his side. He's he's doing the will of God. I don't think there's any doubt in his mind, and I'm and I'm sure he believes it. And Osama bin Laden, I'm sure, is totally convinced that. He's acting through the will of Allah, and he's right. So who's right? (laughs) It's totally confusing, isn't it? You take sides. Then you know we're right, and uh, he's the he's the he's evil, and he sees it the other way. So, you know, does God, is God always going to take the side of right? Does God have to be right? And does God prefer America to the Islamic world? Because... Americans wants to set straight the Islamic world, make it peaceful and harmonious so it's more convenient to get their oil <laughs> and then the Islamic world feels fear and resentment and intimidation and they think they've got to destroy the infidels so, you know these are just generalizations but but that's how you know the mind works well then we get into emotional experience what is it like to to really be frightened and feel you know you've got to you've got to you know these forces these evil forces the terrorists the Islamic terrorists are you know you don't know where they're at and you don't know when they're going to strike and they do terrible things, they're suicide bombers and these are, these are irrational things, suicide bomber, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's so easy to see that. That's evil, those people are evil that are suicide bombers. So we everything we don't understand or don't like, don't agree with, we can put in that category of evil and, uh, and then, we've, then we're right to destroy them. You know, because they're killers, murderers. So how could this ever be resolved? How can we, you know, the, you know, have another peace conference? And, uh, Israelis and the Palestinians, and the Tamils and the Sinhalese, and the. In the, you know, different, then it's always if it weren't, they weren't there then there'd be other sources of conflict because the divided mind is like that it's always going to find an enemy something to, to feel threatened by if it's not a country it's a political view it's a, another religion or a class or another person because the the, the source has not been recognized, the source of suffering has not been noticed. So we're caught in this cultural conditioning, Osama bin Laden's condition, like that. You know, he's, you know whatever way, and then he, you know, his view of Islam, which most Muslims uh, I'm sure don't agree with, But it's it's the cultural conditioning and then how he sees it, how he interprets Islam. And and, uh, then he feels very right, what he's doing. Heroic, a heroic figure. And Bush, you know, has got this sense of being right and protecting the, you know, and protecting especially the Americans. And, and then, you know, and Christian, Christian God. So that, that comes, those are ideas that we have, those are the, those are the conventions, the conventional reality. So then, you know, in terms of Sampatanya right now, take the word God, the English word, Where is God right now? What is it? And then the intellect says, "We're Buddhists. We don't believe in God." (laughs) So that you know that's put down, isn't it? Uh, We're atheists, or there isn't any God, or we might believe. Well, it's God is uh, you know the universal spirit, and then we might feel the presence of God as some kind of universal force. We might, you know, we, we can uh, create a sense of, of God just through thinking that, that God is, is universal. Or we can personalize God into He's the old man with the white beard up in the sky that, that judges us and that punishes us when, rewards us when we're good and punishes us when we're bad. depending on your conditioning. now just noticing, you know, like that word. uh, But what is God right now? You know, and so then, then you begin to know how that, when I say this, how it affects you. How does it affect you? Where is God right now? No, oh, the word is just, you know, a three-letter word. And, uh, <laughs> and yet it has a powerful effect, doesn't it? I think God is on our side. And, uh, because, you know, when, we're, when we want to be right, we, want, we always have to have God to prove it. You know, God says, you know, I communicate with God, and he says, you're right. And then, you must do my will and destroy the forces of evil. And That's what I'm going to do. Because there's fear, isn't there? Motivation of fear. Fear, those Islamic terrorists are frightening. They're scary. Suicide bombers. That's, that's inhuman, isn't it? To kill yourself and to blow up innocent people in restaurants and hotels and things like this it's it's, it's we wouldn't we would not act like that there must be evil it's frightening too because you know where you don't know you know who's going to do it or where they are you know, it is not so easy like the old cold war days where you know Soviet Union was here and free world was here and You you had a you had a more clearly defined geographical location and enemy was much more, you know, decided uh, that uh, you know this was the enemy and we knew where they were and who they were. Then we always fear afraid of spies. Soviet spies. Of course, America sent plethora of spies into the Soviet Union. So I mean, there's always these other creepy forces, you know, trying to. But the, the security of knowing where enemy is, is a place, it's that Soviet Union over there, you know, it's like Chile, where is Chile, where is the Soviet Union, where is the enemy? It's Osama bin Laden, or Saddam Hussein, where are they? Um, We don't quite sure. Maybe Afghanistan or Pakistan, or we don't know. You can't just go. You know, you can't. You know, we'd like to to know. You have a clear cut, clearly defined enemy, but this war on terror isn't like that, is it? It's scary because it's like all around you. It could be anything or anybody. So then you notice that, you know, what is where is evil right now? And so then you're, you're bringing it into the satisampachanya perspective of the here and now. So right now, where is evil? I don't know where it is and not knowing is like this and feeling frightened by the fact that there might be evil forces in this very temple I could you know get paranoid you know I could create a whole, whole paranoia around this But if I trust in the awareness, then I see that, you know, I don't, you know, where, where are the forces of evil right now? And are they in somewhere in some cave in, in Afghanistan or Iraq? Those are the, the perceptions, isn't it? Wanting to, you know, project, you know, uh, into a conventional reality, an enemy. But I know if I start creating, observe, if I stop observing and knowing this fear or anxiety or not knowing and just project fear into this room, then I'm creating evil. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the creator of evil. I'm projecting all kinds of suspicion fear into this into this peaceful temple <clears throat> so where's the source of evil anyway it's in here isn't it but then you know then you say you shouldn't be paranoid in and, and that you should trust your brothers and sisters and the dumb one, that's the, that's the ideal. The emotion might be fear. But it's a the moment then allows both to coexist. And so this is, you know, in terms of practice, learning to recognize the, the, the limitation of the intellect, you know, how it works, you know, the, the habits you have, the, the judgments, the opinions, the views, the, the, you know, the ideals that you have. There's nothing wrong with them. It's not like an attack in a, in a, to try to destroy the intellect, but, but awakening to its limitation and, and its usefulness. You know, it doesn't, it's no longer useful when you're just judging yourself all the time and, and criticizing everything. Isn't it? It's turning against you. It's polluting you through through misuse of intelligence, thought, idealism, and then the emotional world. Isn't it? Is it's not ideal. You know, it's embarrassing, isn't it, to sometimes when you, you know the emotions that one has uh, in the you know it's it, when you're man of my age and and dignity and (laughs) and you know you think I'm very wise and and, uh, that and some you know I've got to hold this image of myself as being the sage and the mature uh, wise master then the emotions can be what are they? You know if I'm not if I'm not open to that then, then of course I have to act and and, and hold myself always in a, in a role of, of a mature wise man that's meditated for years Buddhist monk and I've got to play the role and then the result of that is the the childish emotion, maybe the the fear or the or the uh, rage or whatever it might be, resentment or jealousy might, then it's just suppressed, rejected. And then what happens, you know, it, it's, you've created a war, then the enemy's, you know, waiting, the emotion then is just waiting for something when the intellect loses control and <laughs> and so then then you, you know this is what war is about so war comes out of ignorance out of avicah you know? not understanding not seeing things as they really are and then, then the wars come from that and the war you can see this in war isn't between Israelis and Palestinians or Islamic terrorists and, and the free world, democratic world, it starts here in the in in and this is the war we can actually learn from, not by trying to make it peaceful, but by understanding it, and then, so we're not trying to just cover it over with peaceful thoughts and. Trying to make ourselves peaceful all the time, uh, because it, we can You know, sometimes you can make yourself peaceful, but you can't sustain it. You know, it's not a lasting peace. It's just, uh, you know, it, it has its moment, but it doesn't last. You can't. You can't control the world and your own karma to be peaceful. <laughs> So then uh, the the only way out of that dilemma is to understand it. And so this is what the Buddha emphasis was on, understanding suffering. So this and this you you work, you know, you, you don't worry about the community or the world you know, the the Islamic terrorists and the West and the free democracies, but you know, if you if you really solve the problem from within, that's the best thing you can do for everyone. You know, that's, then you are, you know, you're actually learning yeah. ultimate truth. It's it's real. It's not a it's not a fake peacefulness. It's not just the suppression of of negativity. So in the, in the present moment, everything belongs. The Islamic terrorists and the free, democratic free world, God and Allah, and everything. It all belongs, you know, the emotions, the emotional experience, the fear, the anxiety or anger or whatever, or, and the idealism. So the relationship to it, is to transcend it, not to deny it. So this transcendence isn't kind of, you know, floating up so high and and floating away from it, but it's it's embracing it. You know, so just the reality of this moment means that we we learn to receive it. It's like this. This this uh, the punya or the discerning ability we have through sati and Starts operating, so the emotional feeling is like this. You know, it's accepting it, you know, it's allowing it to be. But when you accept something for what it is and are patient non-judgmental, you know, it's impermanent. It 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 it, it does it, it's not it doesn't sustain itself. So you begin to, you know, there's a way to resolve these things, and not, not to get rid of them. It's not like trying to get rid of childish emotions or fear or lust or anything like that. It's, try, it's learning to understand, it's, uh, it's the understanding of them that all conditions are impermanent and not self. Because this awareness isn't, you can't claim it as some kind of personal. Uh, Acquisition or trait. As soon as I start claiming, you know, I'm a very mindful man. I am the Buddha, and I then it, then it, it. You know, the the thing's lost because then I'm grasping. Maybe I have moments had moments of clarity and awareness and then I grasped that say, I'm, I'm an enlightened man and, and so forth and then it and then, it, then the, the grasping of the you know, through this desire to identify and hold to and cling to so when you trust in awareness I can't find anybody that I can say is, is what I really am it's empty. It's an emptiness that embraces. It's like space. It includes. It. it uh, and so it's and it's not. It is not. It's not frightened because it's not judging. It's not identifying with things, but it perceives. By, it's able to discern. So we see the Dhamma, the Sapheth and Qur'an each all conditions are impermanent. And that's just, that's just a m- reminder, really. And the Tama, all Dhamma is not self. These two, these two sentences are, you know, these are the ones I've worked with all these years. What does it mean, you know, in terms of now? So it doesn't, it's it's not chanting it kind of parrot-like in the morning, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's a reality. They're they're reminders only. And then, uh, you know, once you Trust in this in your in your own ability to uh, be aware you know because your intellect's not going to allow you to trust it you know your 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 super ego is going to say you know you're you know you're, you you uh, you might be in, in on an ego trip you know you, who am i anyway you know i'm and then you, you can get caught up in in your self-disparaging view, seeing yourself as a weak, hopeless case that needs to do a lot more practice in order to become enlightened in the future. So then, uh, the awareness can be aware of that. The set, the, how you see yourself as a person, the way you judge yourself. But it's seen it in terms of Dhamma, isn't it? It is what it is. But whatever, how you perceive or conceive yourself is impermanent, isn't it? It's not, it's not a real self. It's not truth. It's not reality. It's this habit, usually habits of, of that you have around who you are and your worth and so forth. this is really important to, to really trust this awareness to recognize it uh, it isn't that much not like it's uh, you know it's a you know a highly attained state it's immediate it's always here and now but uh, you know easily not you know never noticed because we're so committed to our delusions. <clears throat> so that's why learning to get the feeling for this sati-sampachanya is, is uh, you know, learning, it's like this. Like aware, you know, the breath, the body. I'm aware of, I can be aware of the mood I'm in, you know, the kind of emotional mood. Be aware of the things that, how this is affecting me, you know, the things that I'm seeing or hearing or whatever. The thoughts that are going, that my memories that might be around. I'm aware of them. They're like this. Sound of silence. And so it's a res- totally receptive moment, isn't it? It's a, it's that and then recognize that, that how you know how important that is how liberating it is so that you, you you once you start recognizing it then you and then to to really trust that so whatever way you're feeling or physically feeling or whatever your position is or your self-worth or anything it you know it's no longer it's no longer something to judge or or believe in or to suppress or try to get rid of or change but to to recognize it to allow it to be so then it then that of course patience because there's so many things we don't like you know there's so many emotional Things I don't like myself, you know, when I feel this way, I don't, you know, when I have certain emotions arise, certain unpleasant, the conditions will bring up certain emotions, I don't like them. You know, I just want to get rid of them. So, it's <laughs> so, in this sense of refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, there's a safe refuge, refuge, place of safety and you don't, have to, you don't have to be frightened anymore, you, you trust this refuge, then you can allow Osama bin Laden and the devil and uh, God and George Bush and Saddam Hussein and Tony Blair and Sharon and Arafat and they all belong, you know. <laughs> the angels and the devils. There's room for everything. It's not not up to me to, to kind of determine who belongs in this moment and who doesn't. When I start doing that, then I'm back into the war again. I've started a war. I'm back into the wartime mode. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.